So let's pray. Father, we, um, we just honor you because you're worthy of honor. We bless you. We praise you because you're worthy of praise. We come before you this evening desperate for, for a new perspective. Desperate for a new depth of desperation. Hungry for a new depth of hunger. Longing, God, for a new depth of longing. We ask you that you would put inside us, God, just an insatiable appetite, an unquenchable thirst for more of you every day, Father. Would we not be satisfied with knowing more than the person next to us? Would we not be satisfied with knowing more than we did five years ago, God? Would we never reach a plateau, but would you call us higher daily to behold you in your glory, God? We ask. So to, to tell you a bit about me, I... Uh, um, so to, to tell you a bit about me, I uh, am the president of a ministry called Awakening Evangelism. Uh, I am really privileged right now to have some incredible young uh, ladies and, and guys that are part of my ministry team. They came, they drove all the way from Alabama to Los Angeles, up to Portland, and now to Boise um, to be here with you. These guys are awesome. You'll... Uh, You'll know which ones are my interns because they're the ones who look like they haven't slept in a, a couple weeks. I'm just kidding. Y'all look fresh, sharp. You look good. Tim needs a nap, but everybody else. <laughs> we, uh, uh, and the reason that we did this is, is it's, it's really simple um, because I wanted to make sure that they got to see what God is doing here. And I think it's, it's really easy to come to church thinking, well, I've got to get my itch for something spiritual scratched, right? I, I come to church as a favor to the pastor. I think Jordan's a real nice guy and he really loves the Lord. And so I show up because I like to hear him preach. It makes me feel good. I feel encouraged or I feel convicted or I feel challenged. But I want you to, to, to take a step back and realize that this is about more than just what God is doing in your life. This is about what God is doing across the planet. That you, you really right now are positioned inside of God's, of the implementation of God's great rescue mission. And what he's doing here at, at Riverhouse, I think, is, is a sovereign release of something, nothing short of historic. And, and as, as you show up, this, this can't be about just God moving in you. It has to be about God moving through you. To redeem back to himself the lost, stolen, and forfeited things in our earth. Uh, how many of you know that God is passionate about your co-workers? God is passionate about your next door neighbor. God is passionate about your classmates and your family members. And, and the, reason, the reason that God redeemed you. The reason that God drew you out of your darkness was not so that you could celebrate, and it was not only so that you could celebrate his work in your life, but so that you could then turn and be used to draw out of darkness the people that live where you used to live and that live how you used to live. Uh, now, how many of you were here in the first service right before this? All right, so if you want to know what I talked about in the first service, you'll have to ask one of them. Um, because we're not going back. We're going forward, okay? I only get one day here, so 
I'm just going to preach three different messages in three different services. So we'll just, and, and here's why. As I was, as I was praying um, after the first service, asking God, why would you call me to do something so inconvenient for the people of this church? Um, he said, because I want them to be permitted, positioned, and empowered. And in the first service, I, I talked about, if I could sum it up in one phrase, I, I, I preached on the lordship of Jesus, the authority of King Jesus, the one that has legal authority over the governments of the earth, the one that has legal authority over the culture that we live in, the one that has legal authority over your marriage and your finances and your neighborhood and your workplace. And, and we talked about the, 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 the lordship of Jesus. And we need to understand that the lordship of Jesus is actually the authority that positions us for destiny. Or the, I'm sorry, the legal authority that permits us to come into destiny. And I believe that for this church, for this destiny, I've been hearing this word for you all day. That, that this, this, for this church, for this community, for the community around this church, this is, I believe, a moment of destiny. But this moment looks like this. If we are merely permitted to step into destiny, but not, but not positioned or empowered, it'll never happen. Right? I'm permitted to move to Canada. But that doesn't mean I'm going to magically end up there. I've got a spiritual father back home that has said for years that God's destiny for your life is given, but it's not a given. You've got to engage it. You've got to lay hold of it. You've got to pursue it and prepare your heart to accommodate God's dream. And, and so we, I spoke in the first service a message that, that I think was a key to unlock permission. The lordship of Jesus is the thing that gives us the legal right to step into destiny. Now this service, I'm going to talk about being positioned. Because how many of you know if you are permitted to lay hold of a thing, but that thing is so far away that you can't even see it, there's no chance you're ever going to get it. And so just as important as being permitted, having the authority of Jesus behind you, it is important that we be Positioned, that we find the place that will position us to, to grab on to God's destiny for us, to grab on to the dream that Jesus held in his heart when he hung on the cross for your sake. And so I, I want to talk about what it looks like to be positioned for what I said in, in first service. I believe God is, is calling your finest hour. Not that there will never be a greater moment than this, but that this could be a defining moment for this community. Do you believe that? I, listen, I, I need you to begin to dream with Pastor Jordan. And I, it's cool because I'm not the pastor. I'm not in charge here. So I can say to you stuff that he couldn't say. <laughs> and if you get offended, just talk to him about it. <laughs> I can say to you stuff like, he shouldn't be the only one dreaming about how this community can touch this community. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Like he shouldn't be the only one that has an evangelistic unction when he's out in the street. That he shouldn't be the only one working to bring people into this house of, of, of fellowship. That he shouldn't be the only one sounding the trumpet of, of the Lordship of Jesus out in the streets. This has to be a community effort. In fact, in fact, you should be so effective at soul winning, that, that Jordan never has to preach the gospel from the pulpit. 
that by the time they sit in the seat, they should be radically transformed by the power of Jesus. So he only has to preach about what now? <laughs> let, me, let me explain it to you. I, listen, I know because we relinquished the opportunity as, as pastors and leaders in the 50s and 60s. There was this tremendous sovereign move of God, this influx of souls, hundreds of millions of souls came into the kingdom over these two decades as, as God poured himself out in the Jesus movement, the charismatic movement, changed the world. This incredible supernatural move of God that manifested itself in evangelism being really, really easy. So what happened is we developed strategies and structures based on that idea. Entire church denominations came out of this idea. We'll just preach the gospel every Sunday. We'll do an altar call every Sunday and Half the people in the room will be curious and they'll want this Jesus that we talk about. And so every Sunday they preach the gospel and every Sunday people are getting born again and it's amazing. But the, 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 the byproduct of that is that we forgot the commission we've been given in Scripture's sake, the commission we have for church, where church says, do not, or where the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. If there's one thing we as Christians do that is, that, that should not biblically be evangelistic, it's church. <laughs> Is that all right? I know, like I might be stepping on the toes of your religious structure, but I put boots on for just that purpose. <laughs> that means, but I'm, listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't evangelize or that Jordan shouldn't evangelize. I'm, what I am saying is that you're, job should be evangelism and your classes in school should be your platform for evangelism and your Instagram should be your platform for evangelism and the grocery store you go to, the, the coffee shop you stop at every morning on the way into work that all of these things are open doors for the gospel and, and if we as a community of believers abdicate that assignment and say I don't have to do it, Jordan will do it, what's going to happen is that he's going to have to fulfill your calling while you sit there and watch him deny his own calling. It's good, right? Guest speakers are, it's a blessing that I could say stuff. Also, you should give more money to the vision that God has given him. <laughs> He's going to change the world for Jesus and you guys get to fund it. Praise God. <laughs> So I, I, as I was praying for y'all, I was, I was reminded, I just, I want to, to just help bring to you the realization of the weight of this moment. We are in a moment right now that Moses dreamed about. We are in a moment right now that Peter and James and John dreamed about. We're in a moment right now that the Apostle Paul dreamed about. We are in a moment right now that 10,000 generations from now, the saints will look back and say, oh man, I wonder what it would have been like to be alive for that moment. We have to understand that, that we cannot get to the fullness of God's plan for the cosmos without what is happening in this day. That's why God made this day. is because this is a necessary piece of the puzzle of God's divine plan. And so what we're doing right now is vital, it's pivotal. The, the glory of the destiny 
that we've been called to hinges on what we do with this day. So I want to just read this. I was reminded today as I was praying for you of, of this quote from Winston Churchill. If you don't know who Winston Churchill is, Google him. <laughs> it says, to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. Let me read that again in case you didn't get it. To each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. I want to teach you a biblical principle that will be deeply offensive to most modern Christians. If you will not answer God's call for your life, he will give it to someone else. If, if you don't believe me, you can look in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Someone is given an assignment from the master to steward one talent. And instead of stewarding that one talent to get cast into outer darkness, that one talent, he buries it. And at the end of the story, he doesn't just get cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That one talent gets given to somebody else. Jesus says in Revelation 3, hold fast what you have that no man take your crown. I preached in the first service that God made us to be kings and priests. That there is a crown that he intends, a crown of influence that he intends to put on your head. But if you will not hold fast to what he gives you, he will take that crown and give it to someone else. And so we need to understand that there is a measure of positioning for which we are responsible. And our, our willingness to position ourselves for the purposes of God in our life will directly result our ability to fulfill the purposes of God in our life. And so I, I want to just, I want to talk about this story because I, I believe we, I preached in the first service about being permitted. This service, I'm going to talk about being positioned. Um, and then the third service, we'll talk about being empowered. Does that sound fun to anybody? Because once you're permitted and positioned, there's only one thing left to do. And that is to be empowered to do what you were born to do. <laughs> so, uh, so I just let's talk about this story. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, pretty common, right? Um, I have found, maybe after ten or fifteen thousand times reading through the story, that there were some things I missed as a kid. I thought that if God is with you, you can kill giant adults. <laughs> Still true, you know. But uh, I don't want to take anything away from that profound exegesis, but I, I, I think there may be more to the story than just that. But, so I want to paint a contextual picture for you a little bit. What is happening, the story, if you're going to turn there, if you have a Bible, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, the, the context of the story is that the Philistines and the Israelites... Two different nations, one nation being God's chosen people. The Israelites are lined up on opposite sides of a valley. And they have set up camp and started yelling back and forth to each other. And uh, what, what happens is that every day, and it's been 40 days now, every day 
the Philistines send down their champion, a man named Goliath, who is about nine feet tall. And a grizzled, gnarly, old war man, right? Just the ground shakes, tons of chest hair, and probably some scars. He just knows his way around a battlefield. And he stomps down into the valley and he yells at the Israelites. And, uh, and every day he defies the armies of, of Israel and he taunts them and he insults them and he curses their gods and, um, and everybody hides from him because he says the same thing every day. He says, you send out your champion and if your champion can defeat me, we will become your slaves. But if I defeat your champion then you will become our slaves. And the Bible says uh, in verse 11, uh, it says when Saul, uh, in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17, it says when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And just recently I was reading this passage and I thought, why? Like couldn't, Saul's the king of Israel. He could have just said, no. (laughs) Here's what I mean. Goliath is trying to use against Israel the same tactic the enemy tries to use against us. He's trying to convince them, if you lose this battle, you have to surrender the war. If you send one man out to fight against one man and that one man loses, you all have to give up? That sounds like a bad deal. And anybody in Israel could have said, no. And yet they heard that deal and they were intimidated by the size of the enemy and they got convinced of the same thing that most of our church is convinced of today. That if you had one affair, that means God can never use you again. That God can never use you because of the abortion. That because of the addiction that you walked through, that you're broken goods and all you'll ever be good for is attending church. But God's not going to use you to lead anybody to Christ. What happens is we think that the battle we lost disqualifies us from the victory that Jesus won. But the good news of this thing is that it doesn't, it doesn't hinge on your perfection. It doesn't, your past has not disqualified you. The shame of your past has not disqualified you from the glory of your future. And it's, it's the same, the enemy uses in our generation the same tactic he used against David and his. That if you lose the battle, you have to forfeit the war. But I give you permission to never forfeit. To never quit. If you lose a battle tonight, don't give up. Don't you stop. If the enemy has taken from you every day of your life up until this point, you still don't have to give up because Jesus wins. And if you'll cling to him, I'm telling you, victory is guaranteed. Don't you quit. Don't you quit just because you felt like you lost ground last year. Don't you quit because you felt embarrassed or ashamed of the mistake that you made. So Goliath comes and he issues these terms of the battle. And, uh, and then one day he's, he's down in the valley and he's yelling again to Israel and David is there. And David hears what he's saying and he says, is there not a cause I love, I love what he says. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. That's King James Bible for don't have a heart attack. 
I will fight this Philistine. And it causes such a commotion, not in a good way, that, uh, that word gets back to the king of Israel that there's some kid going around the camp telling everybody that he's going to kill Goliath. And so, so Saul, the king of Israel, calls David in. And, uh, and he says to him, he says to him, David, listen, from his youth, fight this man because he, you are just a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. And, uh, and then in verse, this is, I think, my favorite part of this passage. In, in chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Can we get real for just a minute? If, if I was a shepherd and a lion came and took a sheep from my flock, I would let it slide. We've got plenty more. No need to fist fight a lion over this. But I think David understood something that we need to get a revelation on in our generation. I think David understood that God is looking for the men and the women that will go to war over the one thing. I think he's looking for people that are not concerned that, that, that do not wait to turn on their integrity until the spotlight is on them. I think God is looking for people that, that won't say, well, it's just pornography. It's not like I'm having an affair. One sheep, gone. And we make a deal. We enter into covenant with the enemy that you can come and take from me whenever you like. As long as you don't take it all, all at once, you can come and take one night from me. You could come and take one, one moment from me, right? It's just a flirtatious text. It's not like we actually slept together. It's just a couple drinks out with friends. It's not like I drove drunk or anything, right? It's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just sex in a movie, you know, that I'm watching for the story. It's, it's not that big a deal. And, and what happens is that we make compromises with the prowling lion lurking just outside of what we've been given charge of. And he'll come and take one sheep, one moment, one thought, one conversation, one compromise, and we'll shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's only one sheep. But I believe God is looking for a company of people that are willing to go to war over one sheep. I believe God is looking for a company of people that are willing to pray and fast and enter into accountability to, to make sure that, it, that they don't just look at pornography and never have an affair, but they don't ever have to look at pornography again. That if they were to accidentally see a pornographic image, that it would make them sick to their stomach to see the girl on the screen or the guy on the screen so degraded in front of them. I believe that God is looking for a company of people that will choose righteousness even when nobody's looking. 
Nobody ever would have noticed if one sheep was missing from the flock. But David knew God had given him responsibility for this thing, and he wasn't going to compromise his stewardship of what God had given him. Uh, you know, I know that I committed to God that I would pray every morning at this time, but I'm real tired and I stayed up late last night and I've got a whole long list of reasons that I probably shouldn't do it and we give the enemy one sheep. We compromise with them. That's just one sheep. It's not that big a deal, but God is looking for people that are going to go to war over one sheep and in fact, I believe that when nation is on the line, nation is on the line, which it is right now. I believe that when the fate of a nation is on the line, that God's going to call the person that's been faithful with one sheep. Oh, God, help him hear that. Father, help him hear that. I believe when the fate of a nation is on the line, God's going to call the person that's been faithful with one sheep. And so David, he begins to, 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 to prophesy when he begins to testify. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And you may not feel prophetic like God talks to me through angels and visions. But if you have a story to tell about what God has done in your life to bring deliverance, when you tell that story, you prophesy to the person that hears it about what God can do in their life to bring deliverance as well. So I give, you, I give you permission to identify yourselves as a prophetic company of people. It's okay. It really is. Just testify about who Jesus is. Just testify about who Jesus is. And watch as the testimony of Jesus becomes the prophetic announcement to a world that desperately needs to see him, that he's not as far away as they once imagined he was. And so David, he says... Uh, he says, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, in verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17, this is my favorite part of the whole story. Moreover, David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And the very next sentence says, and Saul said to David, go and Yahweh be with you. I checked because I'm a nerd like this. That's the first time that the name of God is used in the whole passage. For 40 days, Goliath has been coming down into the valley and mocking Israel, taunting Israel, intimidating Israel. And after 40 days, somebody walks into the scene and says, Saul, have you forgotten that there's a God for you in us? Have you forgotten just who it is that fights for you? And Saul catches David's faith. David believes when nobody else does. And Saul does maybe the most irresponsible thing anyone in Scripture has ever done. And he sends a child to fight Goliath for the fate of his nation. But David's faith became permission for Saul to find faith as well. I want you to know that God will put in you a resilient belief that God really is who he says he is and really will do what he says he will do and that your resilient belief will not only transform your walk, but it'll give permission to the other people around you that call themselves believers but have forgotten who it is that fights for them to say, you know what, I remember 
I remember what it was like the first day I gave my life to Jesus. I remember that I believed that God could use me to do anything. I remember that I was a kid and I used to dream of being a missionary. And I used to dream of signs and wonders. And I used to dream of angelic encounters. And I used to dream of the supernatural. But then I got practical. And I grew up. And then I got cold. And I got passive. And I got indifferent. And, and, and I got disconnected from God. And God became nothing more than the subject of a book that I studied. Instead of the king on the throne that I worship. And your faith will give permission to the people that you, that you share it with to remember the faith that God called them to have. And, uh, and so Saul sends David down, and you know me with right? He walks down into the valley, and Goliath taunts him. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he says... Uh, and he says, no, but uh, let me just say, let me just make sure I say this right, okay? Uh, he says, you come at me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of Yahweh Tzabaoth. Can I just, let me just uh, nerd out on theology for a minute. So the name, in your Bible, if you see the word ca uh, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh. The Hebrew letters Yod, He, Vav, He. And, uh, uh, and when it says the Lord of hosts, uh, it means it, it is the Hebrew name and title, Yahweh Tzabaoth. And that's um, a derivative of the word, the Hebrew word Tzabah, which means war or warfare. It literally translates like Yahweh, the God of heaven's armies. It's awesome. It's the God that the seraphim worship in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Tzabaoth. And so... Uh, uh, he says, he says, uh, he says, but I come at you in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Listen, I want you to understand, I want you to understand that the revelation of the Lordship of Jesus is hinged directly to your breakthrough. That God intends to make you free, not even for your own sake, but for the sake of the people that will see what he does in your life and marvel and say, there must be a God at River House. There must be a God in Boise, Idaho. There must be a God in the United States of America. Listen, I think that we so often think it's going to be our theory or our persuasiveness or our cunning speech or our negotiation or our charisma that unlocks in people the ability to believe, but it cannot be. It has to be our breakthrough. And in fact, <laughs> are you excited about this? Here's, here's, uh, here's, where, here's where the gospel comes in. Uh, and in fact, it goes on. David runs, kills the giant. He cuts his head off with his own sword. Can you imagine like a 13-year-old boy just holding the severed, bloody head of... It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, it says in verse 54 that he took it back to Jerusalem. Why? <laughs> like that's got to cause a commotion, right? And I, I think it's, uh, it's because when God gives you victory, it doesn't matter if it's ugly or offensive. You just got to show somebody. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. 
In verse 52, though, it says, it says this, saying now, it says, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shaaraim, even as far as Goth. It says at the beginning of the story that Goth is where Goliath is from. They chase him all the way home. And uh, the reason this is important is because my entire life I was taught that if I believe in God, that I can step down into the valley and conquer the giant. But we know Scripture is pretty consistent in this, that David is a prophetic type and shadow of the coming Christ, that he's both a warrior and a king. He's a shepherd. Uh, and um, and so I, that's why Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David. Um, that's why Revelation says he'll be called the son of David forever, uh, the root and the, the branch of, of Jesse. And so uh, I think that we, if we're going to interpret Scripture rightly, we have to take a step back from putting ourselves, inserting ourselves as the hero of every story. And I think that the more accurate interpretation of this passage is that uh, we were like the soldiers cowering in the tents while Jesus walked down into the valley and cut the head off the giant that had come against us. But his victory became our victory because now all the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines all the way back home. And they, and they plundered their tents on the way back. I want you to understand that you get to plunder the camp of the enemy, not because of how strong you are, but because of how strong Jesus is. Jesus has defeated the enemy that held you in captivity. But I want to just draw one thing out of this story, right? We're talking about being positioned. How are we going to be positioned for destiny? We got permission by the authority of Jesus, but how do we get positioned for what could be our finest hour? I want you to understand how David ended up in this situation. Nobody called him to come to war because of his ability to fight. He ended up in this, uh, in this position because, uh, because his father, Jesse, said, hey, uh, take now, in verse 17 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, take now for your brothers uh, an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their, their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. He starts, he, he finds himself positioned for what, become the, what became the defining moment of his life by serving his brothers. I need you to, by, by not only that, but by, by serving his brothers and honoring his father. I need you to understand that the thing that will position you for what will ultimately become your finest hour is not flexing your anointing. It's not sending an email to the church office and telling Pastor Jordan that you are a really good singer and he needs to let you get on the worship team. You got a word to preach and he needs to let you preach. It's by serving your brothers. It's by serving the vision that God gave to, to the head of this household, the father of this household. There is a vision that Jesse has that ultimately positions David for what becomes David's finest hour. And if David had said, hey, listen, I'm, I've already been anointed to be the king of Israel. I'm way too gifted for this. I'm way too gifted to be fist fighting with lions and bears over your sheep. I think I need to just move on into the city, set up a penthouse and look for my opportunity to take Saul out so I can have his position. 
What happens is, is that we so often think it's our gifting and our ambition that positions us for advancement when actuality it's our commitment to the family of God. I need you to understand, listen, this, I know that this might not sound spiritual to you, but if this doesn't sound spiritual to you, I want to tell you you're already out of position. <laughs> I want to tell you that you've all, you're already disqualifying yourself for the destiny Jesus died for you to have if you will not commit yourself to elevating the person next to you in this room. If you will not commit yourself to serving the vision that God has given to Jordan. You are a part of a company of people that need Help. Not one of you in here is going to be able to come into destiny alone. And if you think that your gifting or your anointing or your ambition or your creativity or your qualifications are enough to get you there, friend, you have already moved yourself out of position. But how do we position ourselves for what will ultimately become our finest hour? It's not by praying more than everybody else. It's not by being able to quote more Bible verses than everybody else. It's not by attending church more than everybody else. It's by the depth of our commitment to the family God has put us in. I'm telling you, the revival that we are in the beginning stages of right now in the United States is going, going to be, among other things, primarily a revival of family. A re it's going to be a revival that heals marriages and that brings home estranged children. It's going to be a revival that, that manifests itself in a, a, an unprecedented adoption movement in the kingdom of God. I believe it's going to be a revival that brings churches to such a degree of unity that the lost outside the church are literally banging on the doors, begging to become a part of this community of people. I believe that, that we as a, if we cannot get family right, we have no business trying to get evangelism right. It's like asking somebody to move into a house with you that's falling apart. There is, hallelujah, there is a, uh, that we have to understand if we cannot do family, we have, we will undermine our own evangelistic efforts. People will come in and then they'll immediately go back out. But when they go back out, they'll be harder to win because they've already seen the perversion and hypocrisy that are inside our churches. Listen, would you stand up on your feet uh, tonight? I'm running out of time. If you... I just, let's, let's do something real silly. I just want to invite you back again. I, how many of you, again, came to the first service? I dare you. I dare you to stay for all three tonight. I, uh, I'm going to pre, I'll be here. Pastor Jordan will be here, right? We're sticking around. Um, I, uh, if it's only us, we're going to have a great time, man. I'm telling you. Why, we talked about being permitted. We talked about being positioned. And in the third service, we're going to talk about being empowered. Because what if you find yourself in the family of God? What if you find yourself with the authority of Jesus behind you to lay hold of your destiny, but you realize that you just don't have the strength to do it? You realize that you just don't have the determination, the boldness, the courage, the fire, the passion to do it. I think there's an answer for that. And we're going to talk about it in, in, in the, the, the next service. But listen, first, if, if we, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this because I think... In modern church, we, we settle for information when we've been, des uh, when we've been invited to inheritance. And I, listen, I think that right now that you can, the beautiful thing about inheritance is that somebody else earns it. Selah. <laughs> and, and, 
And so it, there is a, I think that there are people in the room that, that see in the story of David a confidence that they don't have. They see in the story of David a humility that they don't have. They see in the story of David a level of integrity that they don't have. And they realize they've been living in compromise. They've been living in indifference. They've been letting this enemy come and take one sheep at a time. They've been letting this lion come and take one sheep at a time. They thought it was not a big deal, right? You thought it was not a big deal, and you convinced yourself it was not a big deal, and you looked at the drug addict across the, uh, across the street, and you looked at the, uh, the, the, the thief across the church, and you looked at the divorced family, the adulterer, and you said, well, at least I'm not doing that. The pregnant teenager, the drug addict, the, 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 the felon, and you said, well, at least I'm not doing that bad. I'm doing pretty good, but you realize that your life is marred, stained, and, uh, and wrinkled by compromise. If that's you, be brave. I want to see you just raise your hands. Come on. Gee whiz. Come here. Just come here. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought we were just going to pray for you, but I need you to come forward. Somebody do something up here. <laughs> come on. Listen, this is the beautiful thing about the family of God is that we go to war together. You don't have to step out alone here. You've got family around you, man. We're standing behind you in this moment. We're standing behind you and celebrating what God is doing. I'm telling you, I believe third service is going to be one for the record books. Uh, it's going to be a wild one today. So if you can, if there's any way, I'd encourage you to stay. I only have one day here, so i got to go all the way in. So I'm preaching three different sermons. We're just going to have, we're just going to have fun. Is that all right? If you can't stay, no worries. You'll just have to miss out on what God's doing. You'll just miss God's purposes for your life if you're okay with that. So. Listen, if you came here suddenly aware of your own compromise, suddenly aware of the fact that you've been losing one sheep at a time, one moment at a time, one thought, one conversation at a time, I, I, I want to just, I want to call you back to integrity. I want to call you back to purity. And I want to tell you that there is power for you. There really is. Titus 2 says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live an upright and godly life in this present age there is power called grace that is able to keep you in integrity that is able to keep you walking in purity but before we get there I have to make sure you hear this God forgives you the blood of Jesus was shed for your sake The blood of Jesus was poured out on the cross for your sake so that the guilty might become innocent, so that the dead might become alive, so that the dirty might become clean. And I'm telling you that if you will throw your life into the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, the shame of your past does not have to define your future. The love of God will define your future. Disgusted God... You've not been forgotten. You have not been overlooked. You have not disgusted God. You have not surprised God. He has not abandoned you. He has not rejected you. He has not forgotten you. I'm telling you, there was always a plan for you. There was always a plan for you. There was always a plan for you. Listen, let's just declare this together. I want everyone in the room to declare this. Jesus. We say yes to the call to purity. Would you wash us in your blood? Would you empower us with your strength? 
And would you use us for your glory? In you, Jesus. We are forgiven. And we are accepted. And we are beloved. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And we give you our lives. righteous the righteous say righteous the righteous are as bold as lions the righteous are as bold as lions I'm telling you if you get this one truth you don't ever have to run in fear again you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus you are right now being wrapped in the innocence of Christ the purity of the Son of God so fully that you can no longer be called guilty you can no longer be called broken you can no longer be called shameful you can no longer be called sinner because God calls you beloved do you know how you say the word beloved in Hebrew David, David, when nobody thinks you have anything to bring to the table, when you are outgunned and outmanned and unqualified, you just remember your name, beloved. Just as David did in the midst of a company of people, his brothers and the soldiers and Goliath and Saul who, who said to him in every way possible, in every way possible, there's no way you can claim this victory. He said, yeah, you must have forgotten what my name is because God calls me beloved. I'm telling you, you are the beloved of the Lord, the accepted, the approved, the celebrated sons and daughters of the living king. And you no longer have any obligation to answer when sin calls. You no longer have any obligation to compromise, to, to make a way for yourself because your father will make a way for you even when there seems like there may not be any way. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I honor you. If you're up here and God is doing a work in your heart, uh, just let it let it go. Let it go. If God is bringing revelation, I believe he is. I'm even seeing people as he's highlighting, leave this room. There are decisions, that things in your life that need to go right now. Before you leave this altar, before you leave this room, there are decisions that need to be made. Maybe phone numbers that need to be deleted. Maybe commitments, internal commitments that need to be made and even confessed out loud with your mouth that, Father, when I leave, I'm, I'm never going to lie on my taxes again. I'm going to delete that app from my phone. I'm going to confess to somebody that I can trust what I've been struggling with, and I'm going to ask them to pray for me every day because I believe that you can set me free, Jesus. So before you leave this place, you let God finish the good work he's begun in you. You, let, you take as long as you need, and you let God finish the good work he's begun in you.
I believe that, that tonight in 15 minutes, God is going to empower people. He's going to indwell and empower people in such a tremendous way that the, that Boise, Idaho is going to have to stop and take note. And I cannot wait. If there's any way you can be there, I'd encourage you to be here. I'd encourage you to. If not, bless you. Um, I, I just pray that God continues to work in your heart and, and continues to work in your life, even on the way home. Uh, and so if God is working in your heart, stay. Let him continue the work. If you're done, I'd rather you leave happy than stay angry. So we bless you, we bless you, we bless you. What a moment we are in, huh? What a moment we are in. Jesus is gripping hearts, changing lives, and positioning his children to transform the world he died to save. Thank you so much. I bless you.